Hey everyone, welcome to the Goody Reader Radio Show. I am the king of e-readers, Michael Kozlowski, and it's June 6, 2015 here at goodyreader.com. We got a number of stories that we're following today. As you guys know, June is audiobook month, and we're celebrating it by posting a lot of stuff on the website in terms of what types of deals are available, uh, who is celebrating it, and if there's any sort of discounts on audiobooks, as well as some feature stories that we wrote that I'm going to get into on the show today. But first of all, I want to talk about some in-house news. We have relaunched the Goody Reader Forum, and this is an online destination for you to ask your questions. If you are wondering what e-reader might be good for you, or if you have an older device and you're considering an upgrade, the form is the place to ask. With the staff here at goodyreader.com are patrolling it, as well as other users will chime in and give you their perspective. But instead of emailing us and asking us your questions, register on the forum. It's the best place to not only find out the latest news on Kindle upgrades or Nook upgrades or e-reading app upgrades and what you can expect with a new version when it comes out, but we also cross-post some of our best stories on the website. If you've been following goodyreader.com for any length of time, we publish anywhere between three and maybe seven stories a day. If you miss a few days reading our publication, some of the great stuff could really be pushed onto the second or third page. So we're going to be cross-posting our most prolific stories on the forum and this is a place that pretty well is going to grow. We initially ran the forum from about 2009 to about 2012. We had a server fire, lost the database and I was kind of jaded when we lost half a million users, hundreds of thousands of posts. But lately, a lot of people have been emailing me the same types of questions and the forum is the best place where all those answers will remain in perpetuality. As I was saying, June uh, is audiobook month, and on last show we talked about audiobooks.com and what they were doing for it. Barnes & Noble wrote into us and said that to celebrate audiobooks month in the first two weeks of June, the Nook Audiobooks for Android app will feature a number of collections focused on bestsellers and hi highly engaging titles for customers who want to listen to audiobooks while they multitask. Because we know people often listen to audiobooks while doing something else. We've created unique collections for a number of various activities. For example, we have a list of favorite audiobooks for commuters, a collection for people who work around a house, and one for people who exercise, crafters, and more. From June 14th to the 22nd, they're having a 40% off sale showcasing audiobooks that dad or anyone else would love, blockbuster thrillers, biographies, and more. So they want to uh, create a permanent fixture, and they've sort of slowly started to do this with Daily Find, where you can find unabridged audiobooks for 60% off of the price. Unfortunately... All those deals are within the app. They don't really publish the deals on their website. So you really have to open up the Barnes & Noble Nook audiobook app. And we have this on the Goody Reader app store, apps.goodyreader.com, and uh, you can check that out. One of the feature stories that we have today is the challenges of self-publishing an audiobook. Indie authors who want to distribute or sell an ebook have literally hundreds of viable options. Every online bookseller, such as Amazon, Barnes Noble, and Kobo, all have their own portals to submit content and sell your ebooks worldwide. 
if you want to self-publish a digital audiobook though, things become a little bit more difficult. Audiobooks though are quickly becoming a multi-billion dollar industry, but there's really few options for indie authors at this time. I think that indie authors are facing insurmountable challenges when they want to generate an audiobook of their novel. Unlike writing a book, it's very hard to create it and distribute an audio edition by themselves. Some authors want to narrate their own books and submit it to various online retailers. Um, you know, after all, they wrote the book. Why not narrate the book? by yourself. I mean, how hard can it be? <laughs> the stark truth is that making an audiobook goes far beyond investing in a microphone and a mixing board. For example, the sound must be consistent. Why? Consistency in audio levels, tone, noise levels, spacing, and pronunciation helps give the listener a great experience. Tragic, drastic changes can be jarring and are not in keeping with a professional production. Extreme fluctuations in volume mean the listener will have to keep a hand on the volume control of their listening device, and who really wants to do that? An audiobook also, if you're self-publishing it yourself, it needs opening and closing credits, which state the title of the book, the author's name, and the publisher. The end credits merely must say the end. The final product also needs a sample between one and five minutes in order to give a prospective listener a taste of what's to come. Now, if you want to submit an audiobook to Audible, Apple, or Amazon, and are doing it yourself, things get very advanced. You have to record your books in segments, chapter by chapter. You simply can't just record one file that's four hours. Each uploaded file must have between 0.5 and 1 second room tone in the head, and between 1 and 5 seconds of room tone in the tail. Each uploaded file must be free of extraneous sounds such as explosives, mic pops, most clicks, and excessive mouth noise and outtakes. Each uploaded file must measure between minus 23 decibels and 18 decibels. Each uploaded file must have peak volumes no higher than minus 3 decibels, etc., etc. So it, you really have to know what you're doing on a like an editorial slash mixing level in order to have companies like Audible accept your audiobook and put it up for sale so it can reach a mass audience. So what, what happens if you don't want to do it yourself? Well, there is the Audiobook Creation Exchange. It's a platform that's run by Audible, which is an Amazon company. Basically, you can think of it as like a marketplace where authors could like look around for narrators and sound engineers you could split the royalties 50 50 or you can give them like an hourly rate that's established when you're actually looking for a narrator so you, you as an author have a lot of options to be able to isolate who you want to do business with how much you want to spend do you want to pay them hourly do you want to give a 50 50 revenue split it's it really all depends i mean not all authors will get the 50 50 revenue split you have to kind of prove to the people that you're trying to court that you know what you're doing on a book level that you sell books that you're a viable author you're just not like a first-time author that's hey i should do an audiobook everyone else is doing it the truth is hardly anybody else is doing it the drawback of the audible creation exchange is that it's only available for u.s residents with a valid tax number id and billing address this prevents millions of authors who reside in canada like me the united kingdom and 
Europe, Australia, New Zealand, etc. So some bypass this by liaison with the third parties who submit the audiobook on the author's behalf, but there's a severe lack of companies willing to do this. So what happens if you live in the U.S. and still want to get an audio produced for your novels? Well, there's a few companies willing to do it. Uh, Dynamic, Ram, eBook, It, Infinity Publishing, Book Baby, and CD Baby. They all have various options for you to be able to pay them to get narrating and sound production done. It ranges between $3.99 and about $6.99 on average, but a lot of them will generate a digital audiobook edition for your audiobook, and they'll also do like print on demand for CDs if you want to sell it to bookstores and libraries. Again, there's not a lot of companies that will actually do that on the indie author's behalf for the audiobook. So I think that there's just a massive distribution problem when it comes to audiobooks. I mean, as an indie author, there, you, there's millions of options. Well, there's not millions, but there's there's a lot of options if you want to sell an ebook. But for an audiobook, who's really doing it? Other than Audible, I can't think of a single really self-publishing platform that allows authors to submit audiobook type content. There is a company that does do it that I found called Open Book Audio, but their website looks like it was made in 1992 by like a computer science student that was like seriously like a 16-year-old student. It's like terrible. So I really think that the audiobook industry as a whole, there's tremendous room for growth. And there's a lot of really untapped potential that's actually happening in the industry right now. Um, for, for example, there's no really good audiobook discovery service that curates lists and gets people enamored with the format. There's no really companies that self-publish on Audible on behalf of authors that reside in other countries. I feel like audiobooks right now are in the same position as ebooks were in 2007, where it was really just a super small niche audience that was aware of it and was actually participating in it. And there wasn't a lot of companies that were doing ebook discovery or uh, curated lists or you know, databases where you can find out every book that a publisher's ever like written about, you know, every book that an author's written and get a small synapse and sites like Goodreads didn't exist, you know, nothing really exists for the audiobook industry right now. Uh, but I've talked to a number of major players and they say to stay tuned. So I feel that there is going to be an alternative to the Audible Creation Exchange by another company very soon. Can't mention their name right now, but they are working on it and it should be released by the end of the year. Uh, we're going to really try hard on the Goody Reader and to start putting together an audiobook newsletter. I'm going to aim for like a weekly basis and just give you guys some sort of indication on if you want to buy an audiobook, who's giving the best deals, what are the companies that you should be dealing with, who actually makes good apps for iOS and Android, because who really wants to access a website on their browser with like no cloud storage? You want to use an app that you could like play stuff that you can sync it to other devices. So we're going to really try hard to get something like that uh, going. Kind of going on to ebooks because I've kind of mentioned ebooks a number of times during the audiobook piece that I just talked to you guys about. 
I really kind of think right now that readers are getting screwed on ebook prices. Ebook prices have dramatically increased in the last year. I remember when I started buying books on Kindle maybe about three years ago, $5.99 and $9.99 were like the standard. I, I seldom paid any more than that. Now I'm paying $12.99 to about $15.99. Sometimes a new bestseller will come out and it'll even be $18.99. So why are ebook prices suddenly increased in value? Well, so okay, so let's look at what it really is. It's called Agency Light and all major publishers in North America and Europe are basically saying to companies like Amazon, Apple, Barnes & Noble, Google, Kobo, etc. that they are going to have a firmer grip in establishing prices. Uh, you know, I keep referencing it, but like 2007 to about 2009, Amazon was like this suddenly this mighty ebook juggernaut, partly because they didn't have a lot of competition. And so publishers that wanted to sell ebooks were like, well, Amazon, you guys know what you're doing. You already discount our books. You know, let's let's start just offering eBooks. Uh, at you know, we'll we'll trust you. You know, well, this is like the price that we estimate it's worth. But you know, feel free to discount it in order to push more unit sales. That was like the unspoken rule that a lot of publishing companies actually told me about. That that was their mentality. Well, fast forward, you know, to twenty. 2013, 2014, all of a sudden, Apple started, you know, iBooks, um, Barnes & Noble, Google, and Kobo started to become players. Publishers were selling more eBooks, you know, um, year on year, quarter by quarter, sales were increasing exponentially. Publishers, for the most part now, see about 25% of their global revenue stem for eBooks. So because there's so much money in there, they want to increase the price. So let's look at what I did recently. On May the 26th, a book came out called Losing the Signal, and it was a tale of research in motion and BlackBerry, a very compelling novel. I actually did a book review on the website about it. It basically talked about the early days of research in motion, and on the last podcast, I told you all about it. But the day it came out, I got it at... The book was retailing at Chapters Indigo for $32, and it was a sticker that said 40% off. I ended up paying $12.80 for the physical book, the hardcover. Amazon is selling the ebook for $14.99. That's almost like a $2, you know, under $2 price difference. So, what's a few dollars, Michael? You know, is it really a big deal? I could be in my boxers and buy a book on, you know, the Kindle that uh, at midnight when it comes out and get it faster than you. Well, you're right. But when you buy a Kindle book, it's not really yours. You're merely paying Amazon a licensing fee and they could, they have like a, a super long licensing agreement that you're agreeing to when you actually set up an Amazon account and, and you know, start buying Kindle ebooks. But suffice to say, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why Amazon could yank that book. George Orwell, 1984, that there was a big thing between the ebook publisher, Amazon, and um, like the you know, the estate. And so Amazon actually pulled all of the copies of 1984 off of Kindle devices because there was a publishing thing. They can't 
technically they weren't allowed to sell it. So anybody who had bought it, they yanked it away. They didn't give refunds. But that's the type of situation that you're regularly dealing with if you're just exclusively buying ebooks. In the United States and Britain, sales of ebooks represent between a quarter and a third of the consumer book market. According to a recent survey by Nielsen Books, ebook sales make up about 23% of unit sales in the first six months of 2014, while hardcovers accounted for 25% and paperbacks 42%. But overall, ebook sales have fallen 6% in the U.S. for all of 2014. Well, you know. Publishers setting their own prices is one of the big contributing factors to ebook sales falling. But I think that the high price has not only alienated users in North America, US, Canada, and more particularly the UK uh, over in Europe, but it's failing to catch on in international markets. Last year, digital books made up 8% of the consumer market in France, less than 4% in Germany and Italy, and 1% in Sweden and Norway. It's safe to say that ebooks certainly are not catching on in a lot of markets. Meanwhile, in Asia, Japan, um, in, in Asia, Japan led the ebook market with 15% of the country's total consumer book revenues. China and India were about 3%. And if you look at the top 10 bestseller list, in France, it's $24, $20 in Germany, and $19 in Sweden. So the same markets that have low ebook penetration statistically versus the trade market are the ones that have the highest ebook prices so it's you could judge you know the correlation is 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 evident that the markets where ebooks cost the most are the least adopted and i think that this trend is going to trickle over to north america which is considered the money market for publishing companies i think that okay so if you look at the trade industry, right? Ebooks don't depreciate in price the older that they get. Whenever a hardcover book comes out, it's about 25 to about $35. Later on when the paper book edition is released, it tends to retail for about 9.99 to about 12.99. Big box retailers such as Walmart and booksellers like Barnes & Noble who just want the books sold to clean out inventory will offer the book off for about 30 to 40%. Like I said, with the book I bought, I mean, I bought it the day it came out at 40% off. So it kind of shows that maybe the bookstore bought too many copies and rather than like returning it to the publisher, it's, it's easy to just like discount the hell out of it. But in ebook, whether it comes out today and maybe is a year old or maybe five years old, they don't decrease in price. And I think that for people who want to buy books, it's often better now to buy the paperback when it comes out because it's still three or four dollars cheaper than the ebook format. And if you're like me that reads maybe a book or two a week, that equates to some crazy savings. So when Amazon was battling Hachette, this is what they said when the price goes up, customers buy much less. For every copy an ebook would sell at $14.99, it would sell about 1.74 copies. If the price was $9.99, people would statistically buy more copies. And they did like a lot of math saying that at a lower price point, people would spend more money. Basically, the publishers would make more money. So I think that one of the big reasons why publishers are having such a heavy hand in 
ebooks going up in price is for all of their digital pet projects. You know, un, you know, I've been in New York plenty of times, and the Simon and Schuster building is friggin' huge. All of the big publishing companies have like these massive towers in Manhattan with like eighty floors, and you can, you just know that those floors are just filled with people that cost a lot of money. Editors, management, middle management, uh, you know, the, the list goes on. There's a lot of people involved in the publishing, and that costs a lot of money. But I think that the, a lot of the publishers are taking digital gambits. So they're charging more for ebooks in order to start up like little pet projects to see what'll pop and what won't. Last week, HarperCollins and Shazam announced a partnership to get author interviews and an ebook selling mechanism going on the Shazam app for iOS. Random House also spent a boatload of cash in their ill-fated attempt to get an ebook discovery site going called Book Scout. It's no longer in operation. The entire reason, personally, I started buying ebooks was to save money. I was a huge evangelist for many years about. Anybody who would ask me about what I did, I would say, you know, I run a website that, that talks about ebooks and the future of publishing. You heard about Kindles? Yeah, you know, we, we review devices like that. They totally get it. And a lot of them were like, you know, I, I read a lot. Is ebooks worth it? And I was like, yeah, you know, here's, an, here's a free e reader. You know, uh, I get a lot of review units. So I toss e readers and loan them out to friends and things like that. And they become totally enamored with it. But now it's like, you know, they're like, cause, I don't know, man, ebooks are like increased in price so much, you know, I bought book one in a series for like five ninety nine two years ago. Now book three in a series is like twelve ninety nine, And it's like, why is the price increasing? I'm like, okay, do you got like 15 minutes? And I could tell you all about it. And they're like, no, I don't really care. Why is it just so much expensive? And I'm just like, yo, publishers are just greedy, man. Greedy as hell. So that's about it. In, in terms of that story, but if for all these that are wondering, you know, why ebooks are expensive, now you know, and no one's half the battle. G.I. Joe. So, for those of you that like social media, there's a big Instagram phenomenon going on. It's called at Hot Dudes Reading. Being a guy, I, I feel kind of weird reading that out loud, but hot, you know, at Hot Dudes hot dudes reading the account has over 50 okay it has like 572,000 followers and is a celebration of men reading books on the new york subway but what's most surprising at the phenomenon is that they don't publish any pictures of people reading with e-readers smartphones and tablets with a simple hashtag hashtag no kindles so i guess that this is like a big new thing right now where people are celebrating books and Part of the reason why they're doing that is just because ebooks are so expensive, and books I think that are books are sexy. You know, e-readers are not so sexy. Um, innovation really hasn't done anything drastically new in terms of like design. I think the Kindle Voyage is about the only interesting design change in e-readers for about the last three or four years, but they're not sexy at all. <coughs> So, I think that, you know, really, 
everybody's saying that print's undergoing a resurgence. Uh, Waterstones, likely the largest bookseller in the UK, has admitted that sales of Kindle ebook readers have disappeared after seeing higher demand for physical books. Barnes & Noble basically said that print is undergoing a resurgence and everybody involved in e-readers has saying that, you know, yo, the market's crashing. So I think that at, you know, at Hot Two's reading is a sign of a greater trend um, in the industry. I mean, this is like a big thing that's on Instagram right now. And it's like been going on for a few weeks. But you can kind of, if you keep your ear to the ground with like trends like this, especially like in the New York subway, which New York is like the book publishing capital of like the world, basically, that people are saying that, you know, books are sexy again and i think that that's very telling about the way that everything's shifting right now so what i kind of want to finish off off today on this edition of the goody reader radio show is to simply say if you have children i really hope that you encourage them to read this summer there is a lot of parents out there that are not fostering the love of reading in their children. So I'm pretty sure that you've all heard by now that bookstores, libraries, and publishing companies have all unveiled their summer reading programs. Everyone from Scholastic to Simon & Schuster to your, your local library, they're all doing campaigns to getting your child to read outside of the classroom. But sadly, there's one factor, parents. A new study conducted by the Literacy Trust looked at the reading trends of children in 2014 and found nearly one in four students agreed with the statement, my parents don't care if I spend any time reading. (sighs) One in six boys surveyed by the trust have never been given a book as a present, and one in five say they've never been taken to the bookstore. The numbers shrink a bit for girls. The key to getting key the, the key to getting kids to read this summer, according to author Kate DeCamio, is letting kids choose their own books. Don't hover, don't judge, don't say no if they want another big Nate book instead of Charlotte's Web. Be the parent who says, This is totally yours. It's treacherous waters when you're forcing something onto them. It pushes them further away. Deborah Johnson is a book buyer for the Barston's children's play toy store and they said that obviously everyone needs to relax a little bit but they want to she wants you to get kids reading even if you don't read yourself because children model their behavior after their parents if the parents are always buried in a tablet and smartphones, obviously the kids are going to emulate that. And if you have your nose in a book, chances are you'll get your children into that too. But remember, you know, your bookshelf full of awesome reads probably aren't appropriate for your kid. So you really want to kind of take them to the library, take them to like the bookstore, kind of let them pick and choose what they want to read. James Patterson, well-known author, I think he sold 100, 200 books or so over like the last 10 or 15 years. Anyways, in a recent television interview, he said a lot of parents know that they're supposed to work with their kids on their soccer skills and teach them how to ride a bike, and that's all good. But 
what I think people really have to get into their head is that it's our job as parents and grandparents. It's not the school's job. It's our job to get our kids reading. So they need to be books in the house. I, you know, I kind of feel that after reading these like horrible statistics on how kids are like, you know, it, th this report was like 80 pages and it's just all like kids are on their tablet, they're on their computer, they're streaming, they're text messaging with their friends, they're on Instagram, they're on Snapchat, they're on Facebook. They say that when they talk about reading statistics, it's not like reading books or newspapers. It's like reading a blog. It's like reading a text message, like the literacy trust actually monitored reading habits, taking into account reading text messages. And to me, that's not really reading, but I think that children without books translates to a world run by short sighted and the glib and the apathetic and the narrow minded. And if kids aren't reading today, they're the adults of tomorrow. If they're not well-informed and can't speak in proper, clear statements and, you know, actually be educated, I kind of weep for the world that is going to be around in uh, like 50 or 60 years when they're 40 or 50 and they're in charge of things and they don't really have a clue, no imagination, they can't think they don't take the beaten track. They, you know, uh, anyways, you've been listening to the Goody Reader Radio Show. My name is Michael and everybody take care.